Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. The Lutheran Witness Online. Maybe you've had a chance to go there and read some of this series of articles at uh, witness.lcms.org. Some really great series. We had a few other of the series authors on before, and today we get to talk with the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Boyle, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and Grace Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas, about the Church Fathers. This is going to be a really uh, interesting conversation, I think. Thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. Oh, it's a joy to be with you. So when we talk about the Church Fathers, who are we actually referring to? Um, it's a good question. Uh, it kind of ranges, uh, you know, it covers from, uh, really right after typically we would speak of the church fathers beginning right after the scriptures end. So those that were disciples of the disciples. And so it begins real early on, even in the, into the first century, but then, you know, kind of goes, some would say maybe until Gregory the great may be the cap of the church fathers. Some would even go beyond that to Maximus and so forth. So we're talking kind of first to sixth, seventh century, uh, right after Christ. So why read what the church fathers have written? What benefit is there to reading the church fathers works? Yeah, they're so old and (laughs) who who knows what they're saying. Um, (laughs) Honestly, for me, it was a pure joy coming into them. And and really, it was the seminary that first kind of introduced me to this. But then in my own further studies, I realized there is just such a light that is coming from the church. And we so often think of what's old as that which maybe doesn't quite have it all figured out. You know, they're just kind of figuring this stuff out as they go. And the reality is that when you read the sermons, when you read the the so-called commentaries of the early church fathers, you realize they know their scripture. And so it comes with all sorts of insight in terms that we never think of and connections that we wouldn't come up with because we just don't have that sort of grasp on the scriptures that the fathers did. Mm -hmm. What are some of those insights that you've come across uh, reading through the church fathers that that you haven't gotten from other more modern sources. Sure. Well, I mean, to put it most plainly, the fathers always have Christ in mind. Mm-hmm. So when they're reading, and and for me, my own focus has been the Old Testament in my studies, and um, and for me, that's just a an area of the scriptures that is often neglected or not quite understood real well. Or as something like a history that's preparing you for something else, when the fathers come to it, and and as far as that goes, they didn't have, especially the early fathers, they didn't have a so-called New Testament. So so when they speak of the scriptures, like St. Paul does in 2 Timothy and so forth, he's talking about the Old Testament. 
So Irenaeus, when he's talking about the scriptures as presenting this beautiful image and mosaic of Christ as king, he's got the Old Testament that he is drawing that from. And so for me, I think primarily what the fathers do is they root everything that they read in Christ and seeing him throughout. They would sometimes speak of like a sacramental reading or Irenaeus really likes the parable of the sower in the field and where the guy that goes and sells all that he has to buy the field because of the treasure hidden within it. Well, he speaks of that as the scripture, the Old Testament, and the treasure is Christ. And once you realize that that is the field and Christ is the one that dwells within, you want nothing else. It's just a constant drinking from that fount of the Old Testament. So uh, above all, it's Christ. When you get into the details as you go through, uh, I mean, some of them are, you know, admittedly, a bit far stretched, but at the same time, you're reading through whether it's Ezekiel or otherwise, and and you come across all of the the symbolism of whether it's numbers or colors or various angels, and they'll go off on a tangent on on all the different angelic orders, and you start realizing these guys have been reading these scriptures and studying them and hearing them and loving them in such a way that. They can't help but draw connections when they find the same word, for instance, as they found elsewhere. And so they'll, they'll tie them together. And I, I think we are so maybe chronologically ordered that we tend to think of if it's here at this time, that's where it stays. And now it's a different time. And so we'll look at that context. They really took all of the scriptures as a whole in a way that I think we who say we believe that's true don't always in practice do so. I think you mentioned that it really wasn't until seminary that you were really introduced to reading the church fathers. Why do you think this is something that's perhaps not so familiar, uh, especially among Lutherans? Um, I, I would guess maybe among our Catholic friends, but uh, maybe among Lutherans and and uh, Protestants, it's perhaps not as a common practice. Well, and, and on that, I will say it's becoming a more common practice, and, and thankfully, and that, not just among Lutherans, but I mean, there's a whole Facebook group on Protestants for the Patristics or something like that. It's a, I think the main hindrance, honestly, was language. The fathers wrote in Latin, if they're from the West, and a bit later on, and then Greek in the East. And so until these things started to become more regularly translated into English, it was kind of like we lost sight of them. And there has been a big push, especially among our circles, of bringing the Lutheran fathers back into our own reading. I mean, there were genera- a couple generations of pastors that went through without any primary texts of Martin Chemnitz or Johann Gerhard. And these are huge names among us Lutherans. But when we stopped the regular study in our schools of Latin and Greek, uh, we lost so much of who we are and where we've come from. And so I think language is a huge aspect. 
Of course, the other side is the more so-called Protestant we lean, the more we tend to think of the old as maybe erroneous or corrupt. And I, I think that's been a major problem among us. And, and thankfully, more and more, we're starting to realize that it's not just a clean break between, okay, this is bad. Now we've restarted. It's good. The Lutheran confessions say very clearly numerous times that we say nothing new. And for me as a Lutheran seminarian, when I was there 10, 15 years ago now, reading through these confessions and reading the catalog of testimonies and seeing all of the references to the fathers, seeing references in terms of how we form our Christology, how we understand the Lord's Supper. It's more often than not, it's Cyril of Alexandria that's our guy. Well, who's he? You know, and, and, and so it's kind of this internal study that has thrown me outside to say, okay, well, where are they coming from and what are these conversations? And it was really every seminarian, as far as I know, takes church history one. And for me, that was just a pivotal class. Dr. William Weinrich was the professor at that point. I think he still is, but it was just so eye-opening to see how uh, maybe even modern or contemporary, the issues that we deal with were already discussed, debated, articulated in a beautiful way 2,000 years ago, just about. So what do, what happens when we leave out the church fathers, when we neglect it, when we don't read this history? What can happen when we miss out on that? Yeah, I... I think there are so, I mean, this is, it's a great question because there's so many issues right now in terms of thinking through our own culture. We try to go through life so often as if it's just something new, as if we stand alone, as if we're just a sort of individualistic mindset where I'm the one that needs to figure this out. But the reality is that I am not on my own. I've come from somewhere. I have a, I have parents who had parents who were living and growing and raising me in an area of the world. And, and they, you're always bringing into how you see things now from your own history. And I think the church, to be cut off from her own history, is missing really her own identity, who she is. And so as Lutherans, we're, we're very proud and rightly so of the, of the works and massive works of Martin Luther. And the more that we bring out the works of Chemnitz and Gerhard and Quenstedt and just start to realize the depth and the riches, uh, for instance, for me, Matthias Flacius, uh, as an interpreter of scripture and someone that would write in a hermeneutics textbook, there. These are gifts of gold to say, where did we get this from? How did we start thinking this way? And the more you can get back to the root of how you're thinking that way, what these words mean, who we are, the more, in fact, I think it opens up a true and honest dialogue with others who don't think the same way. And the more that I and someone else can come back to our roots 
and try to say, where are we coming from? How are we different? And what are the historical events, discussions, dialogues, debates that have led to our divergence, the more we're likely to, in fact, come together. And so for me, the fathers have been a huge ecumenical boon in terms of um, conversation and productive dialogue. We're talking about the church fathers with the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Boyle, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and Grace Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas. We have more to cover, but we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking about the Church Fathers and reading the Old Testament with the Church Fathers with the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Boyle. And before the break, we were talking about all of the, the, the richness that we get with the Church Fathers and uh, and some very good reasons why we should all um, go, go find a book and read it. Um, so... <laughs> Dr. Boyle, uh, along those lines, if someone is now inspired to read the Church Fathers, which hopefully they are, uh, where where would someone start? There's so much, uh, a wealth of, of readings and writings. Uh, where would someone start uh, to, to kind of dip a toe into this? Oh, that's great. In fact, I was just asked this recently. Another pastor said, well, if you could put 10 books together or something like that, what would they be? And I, I think that's a fun project. For me, my, my go-to to, to start, and this is a book that I read every Advent. It's, it's that which prepares me for the nativity, for the whole celebration of Christmas. It's uh, short. This is what I love. It's short, it's accessible, and it's incredibly Lutheran. So uh, St. Athanasius on the Incarnation. I think that is the best place to start. And not only that, okay, so I, I try to sell this book so much, but um, <laughs> it, it's really three books within a book. Okay, so you, you first, um, you got to get the right version, but but the introduction is by C.S. Lewis and it's on the reading of old books and it's gold. And his point is to say basically that if um, you're just reading modern books, you're going to be stuck in your own context, culture questions. And so you're never going to be able to ask questions beyond your own questions until you get outside of that and reading old books allows you a perspective that you don't typically think of. So anyhow, that's a rule I try to follow. Uh, for every new book, you got to go back and read an old book. So, uh, so the introduction is great. Athanasius on the Incarnation is just pure gold. And 
throughout. I mean, the theology is rich, but the language is so accessible. And it may be to the translator that has brought that out. Nonetheless, Christ became man so that he would have our flesh and die for us. And in that, solve what Athanasius calls the divine dilemma, where he could not destroy or discard what he had made and put his image in, but he also couldn't violate his own law. And so the only solution to that is for him to satisfy his own law by becoming flesh as one of us to die, to rise for us. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's a great, all these questions like, well, did he have to die in the cross? Did he have to die publicly? And, and Athanasius runs through all of those. He talks about what that means for the Jews, what that means for the Gentiles. So he's dealing with the whole mystery that the scriptures speak of in terms of this incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. But then at the very end, there's an appendix where St. Athanasius writes a letter to Marcellinus on the interpretation of the Psalms. And it's only, I don't know, 10 pages or so, maybe not even. And it's a beautiful introduction to the Psalms, which everyone I think ought to read, where he talks of the Psalms as being, uh, in a way, the playground and the whole scripture in one book. Every uh, emotion, every state of life you find yourself in, every particular gift of the scriptures, whether it's the law and its commandments, its orders, the prophets, the history, the wisdom, it's all in the Psalms. And for him, it's all about Christ. So uh, three books really in one small paper book volume that you could read every Advent in a very accessible way. Now that's, that's the first place I would say to go. And a quick second, maybe just for the sake of brevity and devotional use, I would say pick up St. Augustine's work on the Psalms, where every Psalm you go through, and he is constantly uh, recognizing from the Psalm how it speaks of Christ, by Christ, or of Christ or the whole Christ through the church. And so he's able to so wonderfully weave between maybe the glory and the majesty of God in Christ and also the despair, the suffering of the church, which is his body. And so he sees all of it as the prayer of Christ. Those are maybe two easy and accessible places to go. Any caveats or anything to... <laughs> to consider when reading this, particularly coming from the, the Lutheran confessions when reading the Church Fathers, anything that we need to be mindful of? Sure. Well, they didn't subscribe to the Lutheran confessions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are guys, depending on who you're reading, that have lived a thousand to 1500 years beforehand. And yet at the same time, they are the ones that I, I would say inspired the confessions. They're the ones that gave us the creed. They're the ones that have given us the formulations that we just assume. So, for instance, when we every Sunday confess in the Nicene Creed that Jesus Christ is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, we are simply saying what St. Athanasius worked so hard to make clear 
with the Arian controversy at the Council of Nicaea. And uh, for instance, when we confess the Holy Spirit as true God, we are in fact taking the works of St. Basil and St. Gregory and, and bringing those to life. And these are the guys that are working that out it, for the first time. Not to say they're creating these doctrines. No, they're recognizing them. But they're recognizing them for the first time within a controversy where someone has said no. And so for our own Lutheran confessional standpoint, we should see these guys as our own ancestors and and great, 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 great grandfathers, however that may work. And what that means is, yes, they're going to say things that are just, Grandpa, you can't say that anymore. Okay, fine. And, and you accept them, you love them for it. And yet at the same time, you're able to see that some of these things, some of the allegories that come out are just so attached from the text itself that you say, that's you're, you're just on a long shot. Stop it. For the most part, and thankfully, what grounds them in this beautiful sort of allegorical reading is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the more that he is at the center, or as St. Augustine would say, there are many ways to go when you're interpreting a passage if you end in love for God and for your neighbor. However you've gotten there, you've gone a good way. And for us, there's this way of saying, okay, that's maybe not the way I would have gone about it. Maybe I would have taken a more historical trajectory. I would have wanted to see what the historical context is and origin, perhaps, as an example, may have jumped uh, a long ways. And I, I can't make that jump. Fair enough. Where did he end? What is the text about? For him, it's Jesus. All of Scripture is in itself this incarnation of Christ for us. And while some of the fathers may get there in a way we are uncomfortable with, I don't think you will find yourself led astray very often. Of course, they do have their own historical context. They've got to deal with their own particular heresies or, or disruptions within the life of the church. We do too. And, and many of our disruptions knock us off course from where we ought to be. The fathers have a way of calling us back. So in our last couple of minutes, uh, the, the series that you've written for the Lutheran Witness online is connecting the, all of this, uh, these great church fathers to uh, their teachings and their teachings on the Old Testament and what we can learn from them. Do you have um, an example or maybe two, but maybe just one of, of, uh, of, of a great story of the Old Testament that uh, a church father has written on that would be beneficial for us to, to really dig into? Sure. So of the ones that I wrote, and I, I think I just ended up writing eight articles, and, and maybe it'll go longer depending on what they want to do. But um, I, I tried to space it out through the Old Testament canon to look at some of Genesis and Exodus and Job and Psalms and Proverbs, some of the prophets, Isaiah and Zechariah. There's just the whole spectrum that's being covered by them. And that's one of the things that has struck me is these early church fathers were used to them being within these uh, 
debates about the doctrine, but more often than not, they're commentators, preachers of scripture. And so the scriptures are the, the backbone. For me, I mentioned that I loved Athanasius on the Incarnation, and I read that every Advent. Well, every Holy Week, I read Melito of Sardis, a very early second century father who wrote this beautiful homily on Pascha. And you can read the whole thing in, in, in one sitting, and it's wonderful. In fact, I did that for one of my Bible studies once. I just read to them the whole homily. And it's long. It take, takes about an hour or so. But um, it is beautiful the way that his language rhetorically matches what's going on. And it draws you into this adoration. For him, the Pascha is the Passover. And the Passover of Egypt with the marking of the blood on the doors of the leaving of the people of Israel from Egypt, of the slaughter of the firstborn, all of it, again, is Christ. But what strikes you when you read it is he doesn't talk about it as a historical event of the past. He says, you, you are those that the Lord has brought out of Egypt. You are those whose firstborns have been spared. You are those who have left Egypt and bondage and sin and passed through the waters of baptism, and it is you who are saved. And you can, you can see the very uh, proclamatory function of what he's doing. I mean, he's preaching this but he's preaching the people that are listening to him into the reality of the Old Testament event, which is fulfilled in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So that's a place that I just, I love. And I come back to that every Holy Week. That is fantastic. Unfortunately, we are all out of time. We could mm -hmm. we could go on about this for another half hour, but <laughs> we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Boyle, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church and Grace Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas. Thanks so much for being our guest today on The Coffee Hour. Oh, thank you. It was an honor. And of course, you can find uh, these articles by Dr. Boyle at witness.lcms.org, and we'll put links for that in the show notes today. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.